Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode number 400 of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you so much for pulling your chair up to the cool kids table. I am really excited about this milestone episode. It was just over four years ago that on a whim, I started Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. And the history of it is that I was at a conference and I was listening to a speaker and he was talking about as an entrepreneur or anyone, if you feel that you're in a rut, one of the best ways that you could get out of that rut is go and interview 25 or 50 successful people. Because when you get around people who are succeeding, who are kicking butt, who are making things happen, when you get around people who are crushing it, there's no way after you've interviewed several of these people, you can't be inspired to take fresh action. Success leaves clues. So the person was speaking said, you've got to get around people who are having extravagant success. And all of a sudden, something inside of you will flip back on. Now, I'm not saying I was in a rut at that time, but I was in a rut at that time. And I used to be a pretty avid blogger. I was kind of growing tired of the blog, but I decided I was going to sit down with 25 or 50 entrepreneurs and find out sort of what makes them tick, what excites them, and look for those clues. And somebody suggested that I do a podcast. Now, four years ago, podcasting wasn't as popular as it is now, but it was just sort of through that first phase of really sort of retaking off. Podcasting's been around a long time, but four years ago, it was sort of in this sort of Zoom Zoom time, and I decided, why not? And I went out and I got some advice. I coupled up with the people at Podfly Productions. I talked to the guy who ran a podcast that I listen to regularly called The Solopreneur Hour, a gentleman named Michael O'Neill. I actually call Michael the godfather of my podcast because he gave me a lot of time. He gave me a lot of ideas. He told me how to get the equipment um, uh, that, that he believed in to make sure you had good sound. And he taught me, both through example and through advice, some of the things that I actually still use to this day in interviewing people and getting them to sort of open up and share their own story, a little bit more than the superficial things on their resume. So that's the background of this show. I had no idea that four years later, it would become such an important part of my business. Now, those of you who listen regularly know that I'm a professional speaker and master of ceremonies. I work with companies and associations all over the United States. Uh, I've done some work internationally, but for the most part, I travel about 40 times a year to speak at sales meetings or company meetings or annual events for associations. Now, the interesting thing is I don't talk about entrepreneurship. That's not my topic that I go in. Although my new topic that's been around a little less than two years called the paradox of potential has grown out of the interviews that I did on this podcast because so many people have such great potential, whether they're an entrepreneur or not, and yet they never reach results. So this podcast has launched this whole new topic line for me, which is now almost 50% of all the work that I do. And my prediction is in 2019, it will become 75% of all the work that I do inside companies and at conferences. So the podcast has not only been something that I do regularly, it's changed my entire business and, and probably the trajectory of my own life. And so I'm pretty excited to celebrate episode 400. 
So this episode is brought to you by my friends at Amplifier. Now, many of you out there, you have like physical stuff that you give to your clients, maybe t-shirts or mugs or other things, or that you do as giveaway programs. But dealing with that physical stuff and taking it to the post office and standing in line, doing the fulfillment, that, that steals your precious time. But my friends over at Amplifier, they blend order fulfillment, screen printing, and on-demand production into a single self-service platform that you control. And I know because I'm a client. Because I have my Try New Things shirts and I print them via Amplifier and their on-demand production. Now they can integrate with your online e-commerce shop and also help you drive giveaway campaigns that you might do. And they're great for big companies, big powerhouse companies, as well as entrepreneurs just starting out. However, on-demand means no inventory risk. That's why I like it. But as you grow, you can stock up on inventory and Amplifier will handle all that for you. Jump over to amplifier.com slash cool things and sign up today. So anyway, today it's just me on the show. I thought about trying to find some big fancy guest, maybe somebody famous, but you know, the, the sharks on Shark Tank won't return my emails and I don't really hang out with a famous crowd, but I do have uh, my own experiences from hosting this show for over four years now. And so I decided I'm just going to take a little time in today's episode to talk to you about the biggest things that I have learned from hosting this show. And the number one thing is this whole concept of try new things. So if you go back more than four years ago, I'm just going to be really honest. I had, you know, I was one of these people who worried a lot about what other people thought. I worried about doing something wrong. I talked myself out of taking all kinds of risks. In fact, back in my career when I was a sales and marketing person, you know, I thought I had to have some sort of a corporate job to be accepted in society, to be, you know, a real man or whatever you want. If you just go back and look at the era that I grew up in, that's what I was taught. My dad worked for an insurance company for 40 years. He worked for one company that whole time and retired with a gold watch. Those were the examples that I had. And when it came time to, to taking the risks to start my own business, that wasn't something that I'd been conditioned to do. And I wasn't a real big risk taker in my own life. I liked things a certain way. Like a lot of people, I had my routines. Why would I go do something differently? But one of the things that has come out of this podcast and interviewing so many entrepreneurs and asking them, what's the delta? How come some people who have potential fail and yet other people who have potential have huge success that they take from that? One of the big consistent messages that I get has to do with trying new things and taking risks and just doing it. Now, they phrase it in a lot of different ways, but a consistent message is if you sit on your butt and don't do anything new, if you don't try new ways to accomplish things, you're never going to get new results. You're going to get the same results if you do the same actions over and over again. And so this whole idea of try new things two years ago really sunk in when I turned 50 years old. If you listen to this show regularly, you've heard me say it before. I decided at 50, I was going to change the way I did things. I was going to make age 50 to 75 the best years of my life. Now, I have an interesting thing. I'm 52 years old now. My own father, my dad, he turned 52 right after I was born. So he was 52 years old when I was born. And I think about that now that I have you know almost adult children. What would it be like to start right now with a little baby? 
but he did. They had three almost teenagers, and surprise, they had another. They had another kid. My dad was fifty-two, my mom was forty, uh, and they had me. And I will tell you what, I don't really have a memory of my dad till I'm five or six years old. I mean, you know, I guess I have some memories of maybe going fishing or doing something, but but really clear memories of my father start to come in about the time I'm five or six, which puts him at almost 60 years old before I have any memories of him. But all the memories I have of my dad is someone who is very active, very engaged, very kind, good to be around. And so I realized that he had a whole lifetime. I mean, a whole, the only part of the life I know of him happened after he was in his mid-50s. And he lived to be 99 years old. He only died five years ago. My, my dad had a really good run. But I decided... Why do I feel like 50? Why should I feel like 50 is some sort of an end mark or, or the top of the mountain? So many people who were my age worried about turning 50, and I decided I wasn't going to worry about it. I was going to make 50 to 75 the best years of my life, which meant I had to start saying yes to things. And the more opportunities that came my way, the different things I tried, the more in just now two years, I've shifted so many things. One of the first ones was I've never been an athlete. I always was kind of chunky as a kid. I got skinny in college, but after I got married and had children, I always was carrying around 25 or 30 extra pounds. And right around my 50th birthday, I made the decision I was going to get in shape. Now, I've never been a runner. I've never been a sport, sporty guy, but I started running. I trained for a half marathon starting just before my 50th birthday, and I ran it six months after my 50th birthday. And in that time, I lost almost 30 pounds, and I've been able to keep it off now for coming up on two years. And what I discovered was I always had the potential to lose the weight. I always had the potential to be a runner. I just never did the steps necessary to take it. And in going through that whole process, changing up the way I ate, making smarter decisions, drinking more water, trying to get more sleep. Now, I'm not saying that I lead a perfectly clean life. You know, I still like to drink wine. I still have a sweet tooth that's like nobody's business. But I've tried to make better choices consistently along the way. Well, I never realized I felt bad because all these people started saying, wow, don't you feel better? You look great. Don't you feel better? Well, I did feel better, but I never knew that I felt bad. But along with this change, I realized that what else, what else could I do that would be different? So I started just taking opportunities when people suggested things instead of finding reasons to say no or to chicken out or to say I couldn't afford it or I shouldn't do that. I just started saying yes to stuff. I just developed that mantra of try new things. So I did a thing called the sky jump. If you've ever been to Las Vegas, the Stratosphere Hotel is way down at the end of the strip and it's that hotel that has the Seattle style space needle right next to it. And they have an attraction where you can pay them a lot of money to jump off a perfectly good building. And it's not a bungee jump. It's what they call, I think, like a tension jump. But you leap off. It's a pseudo free fall. It takes 19 seconds to go from the 108th floor until you land on the ground. And you literally land as if you just hopped off like a a, a one-foot curb. You just go bunk. And it's done through tension wires and all this. But normally I would have said no. First of all, it was expensive. Second of all, I'm a little scared of heights. Why would you jump off a perfectly good building? But instead... I decided to do it, and it was awesome. The thrill of it was great. I actually have it on video, and if you see the video, you can tell that I am really scared, but halfway down, I just embraced it, and that video is sort of a a perfect example 
of what I'm talking about. It's okay to be scared, but embrace it. Accept that scary is part of life, that that's what happens when you take risks, and then have fun on the way down. Another thing that I did, for the people who know me, I've always been kind of what I'd call a city kid. When I travel, I want to go to New York. I've been to Paris and Rome. I want to go, I've been to San Francisco and Chicago and Tokyo. I love going to cities and exploring cities. I've never been one who said, hey, let's go outdoors. But my youngest daughter over the last few years has really developed a love for adventure stuff. And so we've changed up a little bit of what we do because of her. And that is we've been to the Grand Canyon and spent a couple of days out there. Uh, she and I went to Yosemite and spent four days. We hiked like 10 to 20 miles a day every day that we were in Yosemite. And we just explored the outdoors. We looked for bears. Uh, I'm kind of glad we didn't find a bear. But uh, we did hunt around and look to see if we could see a bear while we were in Yosemite. And one of her big goals in life is she's only 16 now, but one of her goals in life is she wants to hike the Appalachian Trail. Now, if you know anything about the Appalachian Trail, to through hike it from south to north is a six-month process where you hike about 20 miles a day and you sleep in tents and in little teeny lean-to, I wouldn't even call them cabins that they have, and you buy food you know, in each little town and you take it with you and, you know, you go several more days till you get to the next town. This is not something that I would say, oh yeah, sign me up. But I've agreed to Kate that when she graduates from college, I will take six months and go with her. Now that's six years away. It's going to take me about that much time to prepare myself, to make sure I'm in the right shape, uh, that, you know, I've, I've, I've done the right things uh, health-wise because I will be pushing 60 at that point. So making those choices along the way are really key. But getting outdoorsy has exposed me to this whole other side. It turns out nature's freaking awesome. And now I find myself by myself going for hikes around Austin. We have this amazing set of trails that are extreme. I mean, you're in the city, sort of, but you feel like you're miles and miles away from all other humans. And I get up in the morning sometimes and I go and I'll just hike for two hours down these trails and back. And that's something you never, I've lived here 27 years. I'd never even been on these trails until just a few years ago. So trying new things, it's exposing me to this other side. Getting out in nature makes me see the world differently. It makes me see my business differently and my life differently. Uh, also this year, I had the opportunity to do a TEDx talk. Now, normally they, they select you four to six months out so you have time to, to choose. I made the decision somewhat close because I think someone must have canceled, but they sent me the acceptance letter four weeks before the actual presentation. So I had to write and prepare what arguably could be one of the most important talks, certainly it's a once-in-a-lifetime thing for most people, talks I would ever give on a subject that isn't what I go speak to companies about. But I wanted to do a, a talk called The Art of Giving Small, and it's all about the charitable giving that we started doing several years ago. And if you listen to this show regularly, I talk about it once in a while. We've tied just a little bit of the money I earn as a speaker to two charities. We give just a couple percentage points to charities at the Austin Children's Hospital, the Dell Medical Center, and the San Diego Rady Children's Hospital for research for kids born with cranial facial abnormalities, for cranial facial research. And the interesting thing is my daughter Kate was born and had to have her entire skull rebuilt when she was six months old. So this is a cause that we know about deeply. But I prepared this talk and I, and I worried that what if I didn't do this subject justice? And yet I said, try new things, take risks, 
you know, make 50 to 75 the best years of my life, just go and do it. And I was really nervous. And the day that I went on stage, I was actually scared. And I've given over 800 speeches as a professional speaker. I mean, this is kind of crazy that I was this nervous. But then I just kind of got in like a Zen place. And I was like, okay, let's just do that. The other thing I've started doing is I've started researching Zen Buddhism. Now, I'm not becoming a Buddhist, but I have found the readings of Buddhism and actually all the different types of Buddhism fascinating and realizing just how much easier it is to just be more centered, realize that suffering happens and just work through it, that bad things are going to happen. You don't have to always be getting upset. You know, I wish this was stuff that I had opened my mind to when I was in my 20s because how much time do we spend worrying about all the things that are happening instead of just accepting it and learning from it? So these are the things that I'm doing. And probably the biggest one is this last year, I was with a friend of mine at a conference and he's a speaker and he speaks on humor in the workplace. And he is also a professional comic and he lives in New York City and I was going to be in New York uh, as the master of ceremonies for a big association event for, I was going to be there three or four nights. And I told him I was coming and he said, oh, while you're there, why don't you come to open mic night with me? And my first response was, oh my gosh, I would love to come see you work on new material. And the guy who was with him shook his head like, no, Tom, that's not what he's inviting you to do. He's inviting you to get up on stage. And again, my first reaction was, no, I can't do stand-up comedy. I'm, I'm not that funny. I'm kind of stiff. I'm 51 years old at the time. I'm like, what? what? No way. And he said, aren't you the guy who teaches try new things? And God, you got to hate it when people, when people throw your own material back in your face. But the reality was, he said, look, I'm not going to tell you you have to do this. But if you ever wanted to get up and do stand-up, well, back in the 80s and 90s, when I was young, I loved watching comics. I loved going to comedy shows. And I always thought, how fun would it be to get up and try that? But I never did it. I never had the guts. I never had anybody to offer to take me. I didn't know how it worked. And so I said yes, and I went. And I'm not going to tell you I was the funniest person in the room, but I didn't bomb. And it was I learned a little, and I, I found it interesting. But I realized doing something like that one time was not going to maximize the learning. That wasn't what it was going to be that was going to push me out onto a ledge of new experiences. So I made a decision that I was going to do 100 open mic nights. Now, I can't do an open mic night every night. I mean, in the city I live in, there are 17 open mics a week. I mean, you could do easily 10 a week. I could bunch this out in 10 weeks. But I travel a lot. So when I'm in a city, I just Google Charleston, open mic night on a Thursday. And if I find one, and I have the time and it works with my schedule, I'll go sign up. And if I get chosen, great. I go on and do a three to five minute comedy set. When I'm here at home, my wife knows that Monday nights, if it's not raining because it happens to be at a bar that has an outdoor stage, I go to open mic night. It's going to take me a couple of years to do a hundred of them. But as of the time I'm recording this episode, I've done 26. And here's the most interesting thing about it because I will tell you having given, given 800 professional speeches – I'm comfortable getting up on stage in front of people. However, stand-up comedy is probably the hardest use of the spoken word. I've done improv. I've been in a short movie. Oh, that's another thing I did in the last couple of years is I said yes when I was invited to do a very tiny, like two-minute role in a short movie that someone was making for a project. And I just said yes. Was I great? Were we going to win some award for the best short? Probably not. But I went and did it anyway. But that's just another thing I've tried. But, but I'll tell you what, it wasn't nearly as hard as stand-up 
Because if you've only got three minutes or five minutes and you've got to make the audience laugh at least every 30 seconds, it's really hard. And sometimes it doesn't go the way I would love it to go. Sometimes I'm funny, but I've been doing it. And here's the most interesting part. This particular effort of trying to do 100 open mic nights has had such an impact on me personally and on my career. So this summer, several times I was with repeat clients, people who I've either emceed their association event before or the company has invited me back after a couple of years hiatus. And in every case, I had like four different meeting planners say to me, I don't know what it is, Tom, but you've gotten better. You have like a different a different style. There's some, there's some, I can't put my hand on it. How have you changed? What caused you to grow? And the only delta that I can really point to is the fact that I've been up doing stand-up. Now in my speeches or when I'm MC, I, I'm not telling jokes. That's not the, the same stage. It's not what I'm there to do. But I'm more freely using humor and I am much more free to play with the audience. I emceed an event and they wanted me to do like a little game show every morning before the event started, running around the audience like let's make a deal, giving away prizes with the association's logo on it to people who would answer fun and silly questions. And I didn't even balk at it when they asked me to do it. I said, absolutely, I will do that. I'm also doing a thing for a large association that's going to have well over a thousand people at their conference coming up just next week where they're tossing out the idea of a keynote. And they're doing a two-hour roundtable discussion about issues facing their industry. I'm going to do a short kickoff, like maybe 15 minutes of a talk that would be like a pre-note, like a pre, a little keynote. But then I'm going to facilitate an hour and a half plus worth of discussion between the people in the audience, which is going to involve me running around with a microphone, getting people to talk, and, and not everybody wants to. But I know that I can do it because I'm so much more free to go play with people. And I think the only reason is, is that I've been spending this time at comedy clubs and bars doing these open mic nights. So, so that's sort of the, the, the payoff for me. And all of it, all of this really can be traced directly back to four years ago, me agreeing to myself that I would put this effort in to start this little podcast called Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. So before I wrap all this up, one of the things I got to do is thank the sponsor of this episode, and they have been a sponsor and a partner since episode number one, and that is the company I use to produce this show, and that is, this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you're going to sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing really cool people. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know some of you have to be inspired knowing that I've now done 400 of these, you're thinking, I want a podcast. I want my life to be impacted by hosting a show the way Tom's has been. Well, jump over right now to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So hosting the show, as I said, has become an important thing. It's been one of the best networking tools I have ever had. The people who I've met simply because I've interviewed them, many of them have hired me to come work with their companies. Many of them have referred me to other people who put on events. Uh, it has been great, the, the quality of human being that I have encountered both through the guests on the show and through the people who listen to this show and then also the other podcasters who I have met. 
I probably have a dozen friends who I talk to regularly who host podcasts, who I've met them at uh, Podcast Movement or I've met them at the New Media Summit, and we just hit it off and we've just kept in touch and we share ideas with each other with the intent of helping each other get the most out of using this medium for the podcast. But along the way in doing that, we've developed friendships. So I think that the podcast has been the best networking tool I've ever seen. And here's the deal. I've been teaching people how to connect and network for over a dozen years through the books that I've written and the speeches that I give. So it's really a great thing. So if part of you is saying, I want to start a podcast, why not just say yes? Try new things. Make the next few years the best years of your life. So this new talk that I mentioned before, the the paradox of potential, it, it grew directly out of this show. And I have interviewed hundreds of people and asked them, what can any one of us do? What can we do? What, is, what, what can we do to be able to get farther across that gap from potential to results? So there's 10 answers that boil to the top, and I'm just going to share, share them with you really quick before I wrap up this episode because I want you to be able to walk away with one or two things. Because of these 10 things, you're not going to do them all, and you don't need to do them all. Some of them you're already doing. A few of them won't relate to you. But these are the 10 tips to reaching your potential that I have learned from the people I've interviewed on the show and the groups that I've worked with within putting on the Paradox of Potential seminar. I've learned so much, and these are the top 10 things. The number one thing is you've got to take ownership of your own life. You have to realize that you are where you are because of choices that you've made. Yes, there are people who've had bad things happen to them uh, from other people or from things totally out of their control, and and I, I agree there. I've been there. But you got to realize that you are where you are today, and you just got to own it. Even if it's someone else's fault that got you into the bad spot, you have to own it that from today forward is all on you. When I talk to entrepreneurs, they say that's the way they grow their business. They have to own it. They can't, they can't be mad at the economy. They can't blame the president. They can't blame their ex-boss. They, they have to realize that everything that happens from today forward is because they own it. So that's the first tip. The second one is... Set goals. If you don't have a goal, if you don't have a target that you're shooting for, then how are you ever going to know what success looks like? Now, some people tell me, and this has been interesting, they tell me all the time that they don't set goals because goals depress them when they don't reach them. Well, I understand that, but I don't reach most of the goals that I set, whether it's financial or other things, but I get farther down the path because I'm striving for that stretch goal. So, If on a scale of 1 to 10, I set the goal as a 9 or a 10, and I get to 7, that's so much better than if I just got to 4 by meandering around. So you have to have goals. And when you have clear goals, it makes it so easy. It makes it so much easier to make the tough choices that we are all faced with every single day. Let's face it. We live in a world that's full of distractions, and there's lots of different things that you can do. But if you write down your goals and you know what you have to accomplish, whether it's the goals for the day, I'm a big to-do list guy, or whether it's the goal for the next six months, six years, 60 years, it makes it so much easier because all you have to do when you're faced with a decision, do I do this or that, is you ask, which one takes me closer to the goals I'm trying to accomplish? It allows you to stop getting caught up in busy work and actually do things that matter. The third tip is you got to work past the fear. I talked before about jumping off of the stratosphere and the sky jump. That really scared me. And if you ever want to see the video, just contact me. I'll send you a link. 
the guy, I went through a class. They teach you how to do it. You get up there. I'd read about how safe it was. He goes, one, two, three, go. And I don't go. It's funny. I mean, when I show it to audiences, people laugh hysterically because it's like it's the total buildup is there. And, and the guide who's taking me through this, this process is like, one, two, three, jump. And I am frozen. The reason I'm frozen is I'm scared. And I look over my shoulder and I look at the guy and with terror, I say, say it again. And he does. He goes, one, two, three, go. And, and the second time I actually went. Was I less scared? No. But I, I'd paid the money. I'd gotten to the 108th floor. I knew I was doing this. I had to work past the fear. Same thing is true when I go to stand-up comedy. Even, you know, tonight will be my 27th time that I've gone to an open mic night, and about half of them have been at this one club. So I know the host, I know the other comics who are there, and I still get nervous every time I sit there and I wonder if the material that I've, I've tweaked or that I've written fresh, I wonder if people are going to think it's lame. We live in a world where you have to be so careful about what you say. I'm so worried about what I say in comedy that someone's going to say, oh, this guy's you know, an asshole or this guy's a this or a that, some label. And I'm petrified. And then I work through it. And when they call my name, I just get up on stage and I do my, my three or four minute set. Number four is what I've been teaching all along. When I became a professional speaker, my message was, how do you connect with people in a gadget crazy world? Our world is so full of tools that we all think are so fabulous. And they are. I love social media. I love digital. But a like, a link, a share, and a follow is not really a connection with a person. We have to remember that in order to really build a network connection with somebody, a mutually and long-term relationship that's going to help everybody involved with it, it takes a commitment to that person. It means asking questions. It means listening. It means doing things for others. Take a look at your social media. When's the last time you posted anything promoting somebody else? I think on Mondays I'm going to start doing that. Is Every Monday I'm going to post somebody else who's doing something cool. It doesn't always have to be hire me. If you want to make a better connection with people, make it about them. The fifth thing is you've got to be more aggressive with gratitude. I think thank you is becoming something some people look at optional. Oh, we're so busy. I'm trying to get better at this myself. And that is when people help you, when they refer you, when they give you advice, when they hire you, when they hire you again, make sure that you're doing something beyond just a text that says THX. You have to show them a thank you. I had someone do something for me recently. I did a favor for them. Their thank you was so aggressive and big that she's one of my favorite people. She doesn't even know it, but I am looking for ways to serve her because she was so aggressive with the way she thanked me for what I did. I will never forget it. I was blown away. I don't need to go into details with you about, about what she and her organization did to say thank you, but I was shocked. I was so shocked. I didn't even know if I should thank her for the thank you, but she got on my radar. And it reminded me that when we properly, maybe even a little over the top, let people know that they've made a difference and we say thank you, all of a sudden, we are not going to be forgotten. So if you're good with gratitude, you're going to rise up on everyone's list. Number six on these 10 tips, this one I like because people always say, well, duh, but that is you got to do good work. You have to deliver on all projects. So often people think when I'm talking about networking or connecting with people that that takes the place of being good at your job. You have to do good work. Doing good work is the ticket into the game. It's too hard for the schlocky people to hide anymore. So don't hide behind thinking that all these different things that you can do to advance your career are going to make up for the fact you're not doing a good job. You have to do good work, and that is so key. 
do good work, deliver on all projects. Number seven, accept that change happens. Nine and a half years ago, the recession hit really hard and I got laid off. It was April 1st, 2009. I knew it was coming. Starting in 2008, everything was dissolving in our economy. April 2009, they say, was the bottom of the recession, and that's when I got laid off, and there were no jobs, and that's when I started my business. Now, we hemorrhaged cash. This was not easy. It wasn't wine and roses, but I accepted the fact that this was the reality of the economy for the next few years, and we were just going to have to work through it. So many other people were out of work that you know things weren't going to fall into my lap. I was going to have to create it. Well, now that we're living in boom times again, one of the messages I work really hard with people to remember is we could have another downturn, and it could be a big one. It's been 10 years since 2008. We have to remember that things can change really fast, and we can't control it. So just keep pushing forward. If something changes in your world, I'm sorry. And, you know, take a deep breath. Maybe take a day to breathe and work through it in some sort of a zen manner. But then get back to work. Accept that change is going to happen and try to stay ahead of it to the best that you can. Number eight, ask people for help. I have a hard time doing this. But when I ask people for referrals, when I say, hey, if your company is holding a meeting, could you introduce me to the person who decides on the speakers? Not everyone does it. Some people look at me like, I'm not going to help you. But enough people are like, well, of course. People, I think, I think people want to help other people. I think most of you who have listened all the way through this episode, you want to help other people, but you also want other people to help you. So do it, you know, ask for help, but also be a person who gives help. Who needs your help right now? Who can you introduce? Who can you go promote on social media? That way, when it's your turn to ask, other people know that you're a person who gives to others. Number nine, it's the title of this episode. It's the theme of my whole life right now. And that is try new things. If you want to get ahead in this world, if you want to shake up, if you feel like you're in a rut, if you feel you need, you just need something different, don't sit back and wait for it to happen. Magic fairy dust does not happen. Nobody comes and sprinkles opportunities over your head. You've got to get out there and attempt new things. If something scares you, like doing stand-up or jumping off a building, go do it. I got to tell you, it has changed my life for the better because I have been actively saying yes to things that scare me a little bit. And these are both in my personal life, but also in business. And sometimes things that don't look like they're going to help business, like doing stand-up, are helping me be better at what I've been doing for now almost 10 years. You know, as I said earlier, people are saying, wow, you're so much more confident on stage. You're so much more playful in a great way. That's because I tried something new and I had no idea when I did it that it was going to have that type of an impact on me. But it's also impacting not just my career, it's impacting me as a person because I'm learning just to have more fun. I'm looking for the funny. Uh, if you want to do comedy, the hardest part is writing it. You know, well, the hardest part might be doing it, but writing it's really hard too. And I'm not, my mindset isn't about looking for the funny in all situations. And so I'm trying to learn to do that. But what it does is it makes all situations more fun when you're always looking for where's the fun, where's the funny. So it's, a, you know, the trying new things can help you in your personal life and in your career. And then the 10th thing here, the 10th tip towards reaching your potential is you got to believe in yourself. I wish that all of us had cheerleading squads who are out there running pom-poms behind us every time we did something. But for the most part, 
life is a little bit lonely. Even if you're surrounded by good people, they've got their own stuff going on. So if you don't believe in yourself, if you're not your own cheerleader, this can get awfully hard. And I think that's one of the reasons that people get derailed so often from chasing their dreams is somewhere along the line, doubt slips its way in. So those are my 10 tips towards reaching your potential. Uh, I hope that at least one of those made you say, bam, he was talking directly to my soul. So this has been the 400th episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. I am so proud that you're part of the, you're one of the listeners of this show. I am so proud that I started this show. Not because, ooh, look at Tom, he's so cool. I am so proud that I know the people who have come on and shared their stories have inspired others because people email me and they tell me. I know that people like this show because I get the tweets and the retweets and, and people mentioning it. But more importantly, I like the community that we're building. So if you like this show, if you've listened to this far, send me something that says I listened to the 400th episode. Uh, maybe tweet it out. Maybe put something on Facebook or LinkedIn. But either way, do me a favor. Go out there yourself because you've listened to this far into the episode. Before the week is over, go try something new. And while you're doing it, have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.